Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, you're about to head to L.A. to see the Bills opener i mean it's not is it the, it's the opener even though it's not the season home opener, opener. yeah well, you know it's been a lot of travel lately like last week i was in pennsylvania for that you know reporting trip and then i went to jackson mississippi to report on that water crisis and then now i'm going to la for this game which will be a lot of fun this is like my week of sports i went to the u.s open this weekend i saw this this young kid who's 19 years old named carlos alcaraz who's the number four tennis player in the world and he's 19 i saw him play which is amazing and the bill's owner's daughter also, she's a professional tennis player who's now made it on to the, either the quarterfinals or semifinals or whatever. So maybe that's a good omen for my bills. That rare moment when football fandom can bring you to tennis fandom. That's, that's right. good. Yeah. Well, speaking of sports, the uh, Kansas City Hustler season is winding down. We have about three weeks of play left. And I will tell you what, being 41 and playing at this point in the season. And I bet this is true like at every age at the end of a season, but especially when you're playing a lot of games in your early 40s, everybody is just so hurt. Like I'm walking around like during the day, not even at games, I'm walking around, I got like this elbow strap on for tendonitis. I don't think my wrist is like broken, but like it is messed up. So like on my other wrist, there's a brace like all the time. Uh, And then I'm literally at this point, sometimes sleeping in a knee sleeve. I ice every night before bed. Um, And it's been, it's been rough, man. Like, you know, lots of, as they say, off the field distractions uh, this summer. I mean, Book tour really got in the way of my baseball. And then I got shingles, you know, and all this other stuff. And then with the Afghan stuff, like, man, it might, this season has, I've not been as good. Not as focused. Yeah, I'm struggling a little. Tendonitis is tough, man. It's like, I don't know. I don't, the secret is to, I guess, not use your arm. Is what they say. Which is not going to happen. And I can't even really blame the injuries so much as like just the time off in the middle of the summer. Like baseball is a perishable. It's very frustrating. And I, I, I'll be honest, I lay awake a little bit thinking about it. And it's too much for what is technically a hobby. Well, there's this, this imaginary book I have in my head that's all about learning new skills as you get older. And so maybe it's time to start thinking about other sports that you can do later into life. Like maybe tennis, Jason. You know, I see like 90-year-olds playing tennis. No. There's a 75 and older uh, World Series played in Arizona every year for baseball, not softball. That's your dream. I will play in that in my 80s. That's my goal. I'll come. I'll come see you. Well, let's talk some (laughs) trash, Jason. You know, I think our big candidate this week, uh, who also happens to be a candidate for the U.S. Senate in Arizona, is Blake Masters. There are posts that were unearthed 
from his college days. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. I think it involves a vegan co-op of some sort at Stanford University that, that Blake <laughs> That's Masters... That's my favorite yeah, part of this. <laughs> that, you know, it makes me respect him more. But then it's not exactly what I would have pictured from a vegan co-op. But it's kind of, they were, tra- but in some ways, maybe it is, they were trafficking and kind of conspiracy theories. And it was this weird combination of like Noam Chomsky leftism with like libertarianism. And I guess that checks out. I'm just trying to remember from my college days what these people were like. But Blake Masters, you know, the GOP candidate for Senate, the Peter Thiel candidate, uh, had these message boards. It reminds me of college, like that this is how people were communicating. And he just had a lot of weird things to say. He had already previously claimed the Unabomber was a, quote, underrated thinker. Uh, he was trafficking in conspiracy theories about 9-11. He was, you know, he basically called voting a waste of time. Said it was immoral. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then basically he's like, if you're gonna vote, he says, quote, if you must worship that miserably peculiar American deity called democracy tomorrow. And then he goes on, well, then if you're gonna you know, worship that deity, that peculiar, miserable deity, then vote against Proposition 80 or whatever it was in California. So he's like, if you must. And so I, I raise this because, you know what, everybody is entitled to change their minds and evolve from college, et cetera. But this is a guy who's a part of a party that doesn't seem to respect the elections and our democracy and also seems to be a party that seems to be flirting with, if not outright embracing conspiracy theories. And so it seems that this kind of checks out, I guess, is my point about Blake Masters. Yeah, I'm of two minds on this, right? Because college is the time when you're supposed to explore really stupid ideas, right? Like, I mean, youth. Youth is the time as you learn and you take in new stuff. You have such little experience to draw on that the next book you read you know, just percentage wise, right? Like the next book you read is a higher percentage of the knowledge you have taken in than it will be later in life. Yeah, it just changes your worldview, every book you read. Yeah. Exactly. And and so like, I want to forgive the guy a little bit uh, when it comes to that. What I feel, even, even the stuff where he's like, well, you know, uh, we should we should consider the idea that September 11th was like even me, like a guy who my reaction to 9-11 was to join the military. And even I am like, look, I remember that stupid loose change thing that was on YouTube. I remember how persuasive a lot of that crap was. So I can even like sort of, you know, assuming he doesn't think that stuff anymore. There's a part of me that can be like, all right, I, there's some forgiveness here. I can understand that. But here's the two things that I think this illuminates, right? One, this guy's an asshole. Like, I mean, you just, just, I read through some of the emails and like he, there's so much projection of like, I'm a man and mm-hmm. I'm a man who has these these manly, rugged ideas. He reminds me a lot of, I'm not going to name names, but a guy that I went to college with um, who I remember this one thing that happened with this guy. He came from suburban Chicago and he was very, very conservative, but like, that's fine. It was just that his identity had become, I'm the hardcore Republican guy yep. on campus, right? That was like his identity. As a result of this hardcore Republican identity, he had to embrace all parts of a hardcore Republican identity, including those that were in no way consistent with like where he came from. So one day I uh, am at his house that he shared with a bunch of buddies and I go upstairs to use the restroom and I see one of the doors to one of the bedrooms has a sign on it that says, I am the NRA. And it's a picture <laughs> of a guy pointing a, a pistol at, at you. 
And I came downstairs and I said to the guy, who we'll call Guy, <laughs> I said, hey, Guy, uh, is that your room, the I am the NRA? And he's like, hell yeah, it is. And I go, so Guy, um, have you, uh, do you own a gun? And he's like, well, no. And I go, you're from like the suburbs, right? In Chicago? And he's like, yeah. And I go, so Guy, have you ever fired a gun? And he just goes, fuck you, Kander. <laughs> <laughs> like, and and I I just felt like that was so illuminating about that guy. Like he was just like, oh, that's what I want my identity to be. And so when I look at this Blake Masters dude, and and the way he is now, and the way he was apparently in college, like I'm like, that's he was like, my identity is I'm the intellectual who like is rugged and independent. So that's the first thing. But the second thing that I do think is like for real is. If you look at his philosophy now coming out of the world of like Peter Thiel, and by the way, what a twist it is to find out that a guy who came out of Peter Thiel's world is also a complete asshole. Like who saw (laughs) that coming? But, you know, his philosophy is one that like is, look, we're going into this new right era where, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these institutions don't matter. Like his is a fascist conspiracy theorist laden philosophy with no respect for American institutions or American democracy. And so that's where I feel like this can be taken seriously, as you can see the roots of that stuff back in college. Yeah, there's something that I've definitely seen a lot since I've been doing the last debate where there's like a there's like the strain of libertarianism that is the Peter Thiel variant that is now co-mingling with the Noam Chomsky-esque conspiracy theorizing about the American government. They're both very distrustful of institutions, and they don't seem to respect democracy in any fundamental way. And so when something happens like the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid or something, there's something strange happening where like the Glenn Greenwalds of the world and the Tucker Carlson's of the world are kind of singing from the same song sheet. And I think that's kind of what Blake Masters' rhetoric seems to be trafficking in. And, you know, it's the same it's the same kind of guy who could say the kind of things about 9-11 somehow is now being welcome on the right. You couldn't imagine this back in the early 2000s. And I think this is just a reflection of the new right, the new Republican Party. Well, yeah, at this point, it's like a, a key tenet of the Republican Party seems to be a belief in conspiracy theories. And, and it, they don't really seem to care which conspiracy theory it is. But like if you will embrace conspiracy theories, then you're in on the fact that this everything is an illusion and it's all made to screw right. you. And so you really don't even have to – you don't have to have a, a conspiracy theory that fits a particular ideology. You just got to believe in them. Yeah, it's funny to me, these conspiracy theorists, because if the conspiracy is just happening in front of you, like the you know what's going on with the Trump hoarding his documents and all the, you know, the attempts to spin that to the American public, then – it's not cool to point out that conspiracy theory because you don't get the social cachet as a conspiracy theorist to be like, I know something you don't know because we're all seeing it. So therefore, they want to discount that that's true because they're, they're, they're contrarians, these people, which is, I think is what Blake Masters, you could tell from these emails, is he like takes pride in knowing something that other people don't know. He'd be like, oh, you all think the Unabomber is a terrorist? Well, I think he was like potentially, you know, some kind of deep thinker. It's like... I'm just constantly saying the thing. This is very teal-like. Like I'm, I'm constantly saying the thing that's shocking to you because I've thought more deeply about this than you have. That that seems to be their mo. 
I would bet you $100 that Blake Masters has argued that he that Taylor Swift's music is not good. Like like I I bet you that he he is one of these people who can claim that he can't listen to something that is like at the core of pop music because it is the kind of thing that like you can't listen to it and go that is upsetting to my ear, right? You could say that's eh, not really my thing, but no one's going to be like, "Oh, I don't like the way that sounds." But there are people who do that and then they tell you about their band that they love that like you've never heard of. That's it's sort of the same thing, you know, taking pride in the idea that you right. don't like the things that the majority of people like. Ravi, I have enjoyed seeing uh, the folks on social media who have been tweeting at you or whatever you would call it on Instagram with the pictures of their AG1 in a wine glass, a la your example. Yeah, I guess I'm getting blown up, but by people making healthy choices, Jason. So if you're a new listener, I will forgive you for not knowing what we're talking about. We're talking about Athletic Greens AG1, one daily nutritional source for 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to start your day right. So I tend to start my day with this, but we've obviously been experimenting with, you know, an evening wind down with that wine glass, pouring a little AG1 Athletic Greens in there, and tons of people take multivitamins. And what I love about Athletic Greens AG1 is just the one thing you need that day. And it costs less than $3 a day and has over 7,000 five-star reviews. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I wanted to share with you a fascinating podcast I had the pleasure of being a guest on. It's called All About Change, and it is devoted to stories of activism, change, and courage, individuals who have leveraged the hardship they've endured to better other people's lives. It's hosted by Jay Ruderman, a lifelong activist, and features guests such as NBA star Kevin Love, actor Gina Davis, and in their most recent episode, myself. So if you are in need of a dose of hope and inspiration, I recommend you check out All About Change with Jay Ruderman wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's move on from Blake Masters, Jason, to the special master. Well, well How do you done. Like that transition. Uh, a federal judge intervened on Monday, Labor Day, uh, in the investigation of former President Trump and his handling of sensitive government records and has ordered the appointment of an independent arbiter, a special master, as they call it, to review the seized materials and ensure that the documents seized, you know, don't involve some kind of privilege, whether it's executive privilege or attorney-client privilege, which seems less of an issue here. This seems odd. Even Bill Barr pointed out that he thought that this was inappropriate and that the government should appeal it. Jason, what is this some kind of major setback in this investigation? Minor setback? Is this politicization of the judiciary? Do we know? First of all, for those who aren't familiar with it, we should talk about what a special master is, because the chances are that if you're not a lawyer, or even if you've just never been a litigator, you're probably unfamiliar with it. I had a case once where a special master was involved, and really all a special master is, is it's somebody who comes in during the discovery process, right? So not during like the main part of a, of a case, it's somebody who, during the part where the sides are exchanging documents, uh, you know, which this is a little different than that, but that's basically what it is. The part where it's like, which evidence is going to be used? 
least a special master can be appointed to say like what each side is allowed to see if there's some dispute about that kind of thing. That's really the only purpose of it, right? And, and Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, a, a common case of a special master would be, for example, if a law firm right. itself is the subject of an investigation because so much of so many of the documents under their purview would be subject to attorney-client privilege. So it takes a particular kind of expertise to wade through that. It happens a lot when there are cases that there are like, it's a huge discovery request because there's a lot of documents to go through and there's a big sweep to get a lot of stuff. And it's like, okay, let's actually have somebody who can go through and say what is fair game and what isn't, right? Because if if one side gets stuff that they shouldn't have, it can be prejudicial because they end up using it. So that's what it is. The judge who was appointed in 2020 by Trump is the one who ordered this special master, which, as you said, a lot of people thought there's no reason for a special master here. I mean, like, let's consider what we're talking about here. We're talking about the DOJ wanting access to documents that are the whole subject of the case, the idea that they are highly classified documents that he is not supposed to have. So the idea that a special master has to come in and decide whether the government can have some of these documents, it's, it's pretty specious. And to your question about politicization, like there's a part in the uh, order from Judge Cannon, where the judge says that the appointment of a special master was necessary, quote, to ensure at least the appearance of fairness and integrity under the extraordinary circumstances presented. Well, okay, so two things about this. One, do we need to ensure the appearance of fairness and integrity when it is the Department of Justice and the FBI so far appearing to do everything by the book like there's no there's no right. reason other than just completely wild allegations from Trump's side there's no actual evidence that they're doing anything that would look bad all there is is you know politics there's there's Marco Rubio going yeah. on TV and telling Steve Ducey on Fox News well we should consider that the source of, of who's claiming these documents are classified is the FBI so we can't really trust it right. Gets back to our boy Blake Masters in his school of conspiracy theorizing. Exactly. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that there's a there, the FBI when they when they went in, they have a thing called the filter team, which is not involved in the investigation. So they already have a team that comes in that decides, all right, this is what we're going to take and this is what we're not going to take. So there's already a part of the process set aside for this particular purpose. So yeah, the first part is like that's ridiculous, and the second part is. Judge, that's not your job. Like, it's not your job to make decisions based on the appearance of fairness and integrity. Like, it is the job of DOJ and FBI to make sure that they conduct themselves in a way that guarantees the appearance of fairness and integrity. Let me at least point out the passive-aggressive addition to appearance. At least the appearance is what the judge said, which is like, well... Now yeah, then. That's a great point. <laughs> you know, it's a like, great point. You know, like this is somebody who seems to have an opinion about the Department of Justice. Yeah. And like, because we know that no matter what happens, there will be a segment, a segment of the country led by Trump and his segment of the Republican Party that will no matter what say that there's no fairness and integrity. If the special master, you know, which it's a whole other issue of like how they're going to pick the special master. But if the special master says, hey, you know what, DOJ uh, and FBI actually can have access to all of this stuff. There's no there shouldn't be any limit here. Well, we know that Trump is going to go on Truth Social and say that the special master is bought and paid for and that he's, you know, so like you're not going to get the appearance of fairness and integrity. 
These are the people who attacked Robert Mueller. They're attacking their own, you know, they're attacking Barr himself, right? Like, imagine they appointed Barr today to be the, the right. special master, like one of the most biased in favor, you know, basically cooked the Mueller report in Trump's favor. He's not even good enough now for Trump's people. Trump's own former lawyer is not even good enough for Trump's people. He's not loyal enough. Like, you, you start to go through the list, and like, I mean, unless it's Roger Stone, who's the special master, that side is not going to be you know, satisfied by who this is now. So, you know, the process is now the Trump team is going to come up with a list. The Department of Justice is going to come up with a list. You know, I wonder which of those lists is going to include people with the actual qualifications to do this, which also you know, people, t I would imagine, who have to have the security clearance to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this stuff, like some of it is cabinet level or above. Right. Now, there's a couple different worlds here. So if I'm taking a step back from my outrage, there's a world where this judge is trying to audition for future, you know, appellate court seats or the Supreme Court or maybe like you be attorney general or something or elected office, right, which is very possible. You could see them being like, all right, I don't want to go so far that I become like a fringe character. So I'll just go with one of the people the Department of Justice picks. And then I've fought for Trump. Like I've at least like appeared to fight for Trump. The other world is, and we don't know a lot about this judge, is they're just, they go the full distance and they're like, you know what? I'm going to do the bidding of MAGA world and I'm going to actually pick one of their people as a special master. So that would be kind of a disaster. It would delay a lot of what the Department of Justice is, is trying to do with Trump and holding him accountable. It would set a dangerous precedence. But on the, on the positive side, Barr, you know, Bill Barr seemed to suggest, he said he doesn't think that the special master will hold up, even though it's six of the 11 judges on the uh, 11th circuit, which this would be appealed to, were appointed by Trump, which just shows how much we're getting our butts kicked in judicial appointments in this country. Just Not Republicans. Six of 11 are Trump appointees, not just Republicans. But Barr seems to suggest that criminal charges, if they're coming, won't be stopped by a special master because we basically know what we know about these documents and you can't stop that train. Like, it's already moving. That's, I think that's right. And, and, and it, it should be pointed out that the judge didn't say that they cannot use the documents for the purposes of trying to protect national security, that they can't, you know, take the documents and say, right. okay, now we know what has been compromised. We can, we can act accordingly. But the, the fact is, is that you could end up with a special, if, if it holds up, you could end up with a special master. That's like, just comes up with reasons why you can't use certain documents in the, in the investigation and therefore also in the prosecution, which could mean a couple of things. It could mean that you uh, don't actually have the sufficient evidence to convict Trump, but it could also mean that you don't have the evidence to bring in co-conspirators because if, if certain co-conspirators are tied to certain documents and those documents are kept out unfairly by the special master, well, then it has huge consequences. Yeah, and there are two pieces of reporting in addition to this that uh, I just want to flag for our listeners. One is that Rolling Stone came out with a report saying that they have sources that say that Trump has been bragging about all the dirt he has on the French president, Macron, uh, and his sex life. Now, that's relevant because one of the documents found in Trump's possession was a document pertaining to the background, like some kind of intelligence background on Macron. That feels like a fucking crime to me. I don't know. Like that you are using U.S. intelligence after your presidency that you have in your possession to trash a foreign leader. I mean, we already know he's committed a crime. Now this gets to like something beyond just sloppy record keeping, you know? Well, I mean, frankly, 
just divulging it. I mean, the Rolling Stone article talks about all the different times that Trump has just pulled people aside, people who he didn't even know their names and started just talking about this supposed intelligence that he's seen on Macron. So if it is actual classified intelligence that he's just handing out to people for no reason, like that's a crime. Like that by itself is a crime. Right. The interesting thing about this is that, you know, it's possible that this intelligence, this quote unquote intelligence about Macron is not really intelligence, given the fact that when Obama came in, he changed the rules after the Angela Merkel thing and said, we're not going to collect intelligence on on allies, on you know the leaders of, of friendly countries. And then the Trump administration stuck with that policy, supposedly. Now, sometimes stuff gets swept up. Sometimes you're collecting on something else. And I don't believe any of that. I don't believe well, any I, of that. I think that's bullshit. Yeah, look, yeah, I yeah. believe that that was the policy. I believe that they weren't going to overtly yeah. do it. And But the other thing is, is like, that doesn't mean that other countries aren't doing it. And we share intelligence with other countries yeah. all yeah. the time. It's very normal. Like, you know, you've seen it in the tag after the classification. It has the slash lines that tell you which countries you can share it with, right? And the other countries have the same thing. So right. so there's right. a lot of different ways he could have got it. Um, but it also just says, I mean, not that we have to say anything about Trump's character at this point, but like it says a lot about the guy that like that's the kind of stuff that he wanted to take with him. Um you know, it's not like he yeah. it's not like he wanted to have that stuff to advance the interest of the United States. He just doesn't like the guy. Right. And thinks it may, you know, be useful to hit to Trump's own political allies in France. Yeah. And to wrap this up, the second piece of reporting that came out was just about how like some of the material he had uh, allegedly has to do with defense capabilities and other like closely guarded secrets of our friends. You put this together with the Macron stuff and it says the U.S. can't be trusted with your secrets. That's essentially what we're yeah. telling the world. And so I think it's a shame. All right, let's talk about Biden's speech. So last week, Biden gave a speech basically warning about the threat that Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans represent to our country. He says that it's an extremism that threatens the very foundation of our publics. He says they don't respect the Constitution. They don't believe in the rule of law. They don't recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And he went on. He talked about January 6th. And he basically was warning ahead of, I think, the midterm elections. But in general, given everything that's going on right now, um, there's just too much, obviously so much to even summarize here in terms of anti-democratic moves that the Republicans are making, but including, you know, nominating figures in this midterm election that don't believe in democracy. And, and some of those are people who will be overseeing our elections. So he, he gave a pretty stern warning. Jason, I would say that the press did not handle this speech really well. And I think that if this is a dress rehearsal for you know, the the coming civil war we have, I think people are not taking seriously this threat. They literally talked about the optics, like, and they, they took the bait, right? Like, yeah. I mean, look, Trump did all sorts of things where he used the military completely inappropriately. And we, we made a big deal out of it. We talked about it all the time, but the media basically treated it as like, well, yeah, of course he did. Like he's terrible. That's the kind of things he does. And then, and this is just typical, right. like, look, I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been better if they hadn't had Marines in the background. Right. But by the way, like pretty far in the right. background, like a, a lot, a lot of channels, like you couldn't even see them. They weren't in the frame, but 
But yes, it would have been better. Also, he's talking about how we're losing our democracy. So shut the hell up. Like, like right. th- that's that's not right. like, okay, address it, bring it up, and then move on and talk about what the speech is about. Because, and that's what like John Harwood did on, on CNN. Oh, look, they are standing by the message that President Biden offered. Of course, it was a political speech. We're ta- in a midterm reelection year. Uh, the issues that he's talking about are inherently political. But I think it's also important to say that the core point he made in that political speech about a threat to democracy is true. Now, that's something that's not easy for us as journalists to say. We're brought up to believe there's two uh, different political parties with different uh, points of view, and we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them. But that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Republican Party right now is led by a dishonest demagogue, Many, many Republicans are rallying behind his lies about the 2020 election and other things as well. And a significant portion or a uh, sufficient portion uh, of the constituency that they're leading attacked the Capitol on January 6th violently by uh, offering pardons or suggesting pardons for those people who violently attacked the Capitol, uh, which you've been pointing out uh, numerous times this morning. Donald Trump made Joe Biden's point for him. We really still don't know whether that's the reason that he was asked to leave, which would be awful, but that's a whole other media controversy. Here's my thing. When people, if you're going to talk about this, and you should with people in your life, if they're going to say something about, you know, the Marines in the background, or if they're going to say that this is divisive, that seems to be the approach from the right, right? Like the established right, the Shapiros and the Rubios is to be like, look, He's dividing the country by saying that we're fascists. That that's divisive rhetoric. Okay, here would be my question for anybody who says that to you, which is: assume for a minute, assume for a minute that you believe what I believe and what President Biden believes, which is that democracy is like really fragile at this moment and that it's under attack. Assume for a moment that you believed that. When would be the appropriate time to point that out? Because I think it would be before we lose our democracy. And not after. Yeah, and I would say we're we're during the while phase. We we are in the while we are losing right. the democracy. Yeah, phase, before right? before it's <laughs> over. Like somewhere be, be yeah yeah somewhere be before and after is is the we're losing our democracy right now phase. I would say that's what's happening right now. And you know it's we could go through like what is Biden trying to do? Is there this line of the speech? Should he have co mingled non like core democracy issues like policy issues with it or whatever? There's a case to be made for this or that. I think it's such a small part of the discussion compared to hey, we've got all these people who are in one political party and it seems to be the mainstream of that party who don't believe in our democracy anymore and who are taking active measures to destroy our democracy, alarm bells, right? Like the Washington Post editorial board, like all these people are just a pearl clutching happening. Like, you know, like it's not, he's, you know, Biden's being divisive. I'm like, it's not divisive to point out divisive people. I'm sorry. Like you just can't pretend you stick your head in the sand and pretend like the stuff isn't happening. You have to tell Americans what's going on. Like you have to say, these are the stakes. Like, you can't expect people to vote against fascists if you don't tell them that those people are fascists. Like that's and also right. you you don't have to be nice and coddly to fascists. Like this whole show, like everything we do is about how to reach out to the other side, how to bring them along, that kind of thing. Well, 
that doesn't include the people who are gone, right? It's the people who are still right. gettable. The people, you know, they they voted for Trump, but they there's some things about it they don't like. The people who like, well, I you know, I felt this way about taxes. I don't like the wokeness, whatever. Okay, fine. You got to say to those people, but you got to decide whether you're on team democracy or not. Because like, yes, okay, right. I get it. You feel that way. We can have that conversation at some point. But right now, like, we're under attack, like, and we're on the same side. Like, you have to tell people that, and you have to do it loudly. Yeah, and, and shout out to David Frum, you know, former Republican, who said what once could be minimized as a recessive tendency within the Republican Party has become the dominant one. Facing that reality is the way to prevent it from doing worse harm. Only recognition of that unwelcome new reality can change behaviors across American politics, not just those of Trump supporters. So I agree with that. And at the same time, Biden is giving this speech. Trump's going on a right-wing radio program saying he has met with January 6th uh, rioters. Uh, he's financially supporting them. He said that if he wins re-election, he looks forward to giving them pardons and will those pardons will come with an apology from the federal government. You know, this radical left system, these people are sick. There's something wrong with them. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. They're Agreed. sick. And they don't mind. And they're cold. You know, they were telling me about some of these, some of the legal people on the other side. They're the most cold-hearted people. They don't care about families. They don't care about anything. They're just, and you see what they're doing with the sentencing. And I will tell you, and I'm looking at it very carefully. I've, I've studied it. I study cases. And contributions should be made. We have to do that because, you know, they have some good lawyers. But even the good lawyers, the Can't judges. Can't be fraudulent uh, judges. You get before. Amen. Yeah, you get some of these judges that, that are so are so nasty and so angry and mean, the sentences. And I will tell you, I will look very, very favorably about about full pardons. That's what Trump is saying while all this is going on. Trump is making the case for Biden. Like, the the guy wants to be president again, and he wants to pardon the people who, at his bidding, tried to overthrow the government. Like, the head of one of these two parties is like, we ha he literally said about a candidate he was endorsing last week, he promised they would rule with an iron fist. Like, this isn't imaginary. Like, this shit is really happening, and you have to talk about it. You, you can't protect people from it. If you protect people from it with your rhetoric, bad things will happen. More bad things will happen. The media, like, I mean, they, it's sometimes I feel like they learn, right? Like Hillary 2016 seemed like there was some soul searching that happened after that. You know, there's all the reports about how the New York Times had all these you know, headlines leading up to the election about Hillary's emails and corruption with her and wasn't spending enough time on Trump's you think they kind of course correct, maybe they overcorrect in certain ways in the years ahead. And then you get to these moments again where it's like, man, like I feel like people are spending so much time in like Upper West Side brownstones in Georgetown or whatever, where like the chattering, you know, classes are just like, oh, like I can't believe what Biden did. I can't believe he used red light behind him. And they're just they're not taking seriously what he's talking about and what the rest of us are seeing. I, I don't know what to say to them. Honestly, I really don't. Like, I, I just don't know how at this point, this close to the precipice of whatever hellscape is before us here that they can't just see it for what it is. It's that don't look up movie come to life, right? I mean, it's just like, it's just nuts. There's a quote that I keep seeing bounced around that I'm going to butcher. I don't even remember who it was from that about journalism. And, and it says that like, 
you know, if one side says it's raining and one side says it's not, it's not your job to say that the two sides disagree. It's your job to open the fucking window. Right. That's what's happening. Yeah. Like it, it's not, it's not the media's job to be like, well, you know, one side says democracy is good. And the other side says, you know, not so great. Right. No, it's your job to be like, actually in America, that's like the whole point of this whole thing. So this side is wrong. Like that's, that's not bias. But he used red light behind him. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's a good point. Which Hitler, I, apparently ah, Hitler did. Well, that I don't, makes I don't know that. But so, so, so he's they, Hitler. I've seen those is, tweeted it, at me. Those yeah. memes. I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to complain about folks in the upper echelons of the media. Um, and it, it, like we could do it the whole podcast, right? Like because it's so frustrating. Because like their lives are unaffected by this stuff so far. Right. So far, they're unaffected. Like their life is not going to change day to day based on how things go in an election, but eventually it will. But they don't realize that. So I, we can't worry so much about that. We have to worry about what we can control. And going back to the whole mission of this show in the first place, what we can control is the people that we talk to in our lives and the way that we message this stuff. And so at the presidential level, Biden has to give this speech over and over and over again. Like he can't back down. Right. He, he, this is this has really got to be like his stump speech, not just for the midterms, like period, like for the rest of his presidency, because that's the most important thing going on. This is the greatest threat. We can't address anything else if we get this wrong. And then for the rest of us, we've got to talk about it and all we the need time. To yeah, it. like yeah. This, this is what it's about. You're yeah. team democracy or you're not. And that, by the way, for all the people who are interested in how do we win over some of these people who are Republicans but are persuadable. Well, it's either this or it's nothing. Like, it's, you know, it's, yes, there are other things. There's guns, there's abortion, there's all that. But, like, this is the whole deal. It's the whole ball of wax. And it's what we ought to yeah. be talking about. Everything else flows exactly. from our democracy. We've talked about this before. It's not that we don't care about those other issues. It's that there's no hope in addressing those issues and having them stick if our democracy is gone. You got to have people understand that there is one party that is team democracy and there's one party that is not, because that will help a lot of good people make informed choices. All right. We probably said a lot of stuff this episode that you either agree with or maybe we just were upsetting to you. I'm not sure. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear your reactions or to read them. So 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can also email us at m54 at wondermedianetwork.com, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. And our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adesua Agbenile. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.